Welcome to Millennial 736. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And Pam I'm is Pam. Not, no, you are not, <laughs> Pam. You're Micah. Welcome back to the show, Micah. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. I mean, nothing more I'd rather do on a Monday night after working than record Millennial. You are Millennial. such a liar. I get a text from you at least once a month like, hey, let me know when you want me to be back on Millennial. And you know when we record. And it's always <laughs> when like Pam's not here. You know, maybe I want to co-host with Pam. You're the spare. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly. Not true. On today's episode, we're going to ask Judge Laura for her verdict on the case of the young van life couple who went missing. That's been all over the news lately. We'll also talk about when and how to leave a job, as well as going back to the workplace right now. Mike actually started going back into the office after a year and a half away. And then we're going to talk about Bud Light's new fall flannel hard seltzers, because I could not believe that Pam, or sorry, that uh, (laughs) I'm reading the Discord while talking. That's not a a good habit. I was shocked that Bud Light created fall hard seltzers because they're meant for summer, not fall. Well, we had uh, a minor bit to mention, an update from something we've mentioned over the last couple of weeks, California Recall of Gavin Newsom happened last week. And uh, shock and awe, he was not recalled. In fact, uh, I have so much secondhand embarrassment for Republicans over the wasted time and money that went into this, that I don't even have much to say about it, except if you want to see something real cringy, go look at the early reporting for Orange fucking County, (laughs) which is very historically very conservative. And you'll see that early on in the night, Orange County was one of the things that sealed the fate of this recall election pretty early on. Andrew, I know you were watching the coverage because (laughs) you retweeted that uh, David Wasserman tweet. Like, oh, yeah, he's the best. Uh, that guy. So you got to follow this guy. That should be my recommendation this week. He follows all the elections around the country. He's always the first to call an election. After he's decided who's won, he'll tweet, I've seen enough. The recall fails. And I just picture this guy just like tossing all his papers away being like, I've seen enough. Biden wins. Yeah, he did that for Georgia during the presidential election when Georgia was taking so long to declare who won the state. And when I saw that, I've seen enough. Georgia goes Biden. I was like, yes. But yeah, I was watching the results live as well. We're sorry that Pam can't be here this week since she lives in California. Uh, She's off celebrating, I guess, that the recall (laughs) failed. But uh, California spent $300 million on that. And Governor Newsom won pretty easily. So hopefully that'll teach California lesson about these recalls and how effective that they are. It seems like it's a worthwhile endeavor when you're in the midst of a pandemic to do something like this because, you know, you can spend a couple hundred mil somewhere else, right? Right. I mean, California has the huge homeless problem. They've got water problems. They've got fire problems. And $300 million just went down the drain on a recall, a needless recall. It goes without saying, when Arnold's not running, don't waste your time. (laughs) Because at least he got it done the last time. He did get it done. And that was a joke. (laughs) I mean, there was like TikTokers, YouTubers running in this recall. It was it was a it was a circus. Well, and you could even make the argument that the parameters for having a governor recall in California are a bit ridiculous. You only have to obtain 
uh, a certain percentage of signatures representative of like, I think it's 12% of the total number of people who voted in the last governor election. So nothing. That's all you need to get in order to mount a recall. So it it's the the bar is really low. Hey, and hey. I think in the case of what <laughs> they have to recall the idea of recalls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've seen that joked about too. People are like, okay, at this point, can Californians just recall recalls? Oh, darn it! Please and thank you. <laughs> we also got an email here. This is an interesting one. Yeah, we got this email, and it just delighted me so much. This is from Scott, and Scott says. Well, I've listened to many of your episodes. I really like the candor. Basically, I am a classic old white guy, maybe even a Republican. (laughs) And I pretty much don't agree with many of your opinions. That's okay with me because you guys do an amazing job of articulating your points. I don't really need an echo chamber. Please keep doing what you are doing. Your show is perfect. My children are likely 75% liberal. That's okay, too. Well, thanks, Scott. Wow, that's so nice. I wonder how he found the show. We have been paying to advertise the show lately, and I feel like we don't see emails like this very often, so I'm wondering if Scott came into the show as a result of the advertising. I don't know. Scott, let us know. I'm very curious, but I also just love this email because it reminds me of a different time in sort of like the political landscape of this country where you could have... Uh, spirited sparring debates with people that you uh, held different viewpoints from and it was okay Um, and that you could still have respect for each other and Scott was kind of like bringing that back for me when I read that email so thank you Scott I'm so glad uh, to have you as a listener of our show and thank you for hanging around with us we have to work on your kids though they're only 75% liberal that's (laughs) you got to get them to listen and, and we'll pump that up a little bit yeah yeah. Just kidding. Maybe. <laughs> well, I, I always think about like, is there a millennial with Republicans? You know, a show just like this, but the panelists are Republican. I wonder if anybody knows of a show like that. Let me know. I would be very curious. Yeah, tell to hear us. It. I would like the to hear the alternate opinions. I just want them to be based in fact. If they're not, then I really I wouldn't be a regular listener, but I would at least at least try it out once. So there's been a big story this week. And I wanted to kind of call this segment Judge Laura. We're going to talk about the missing van life couple now. And the reason I'm calling this Judge Laura is because as we learned earlier this year, Laura knows her true crime and she loves true crime. She correctly predicted earlier this year that the crooks who stole Lady Gaga's dogs actually did not know that they were Gaga's dogs. And when Laura speculated that, when this all went down earlier in the year, I was like, Laura, no way. They totally knew it was Gaga's dogs. What are you thinking? And Laura's like, I don't know. I don't I don't think they knew. Well, Laura was right. So now I want to take Laura's expertise and apply it to this van life case. I just want to run through a timeline to get everybody up to speed whether or not you've been following the case. So a couple in their early 20s embarked on a four-month van life journey across the U.S. to visit and camp in national parks. Great idea. That's something I would love to do one day. They were both documenting the trip day by day on their Instagrams and on YouTube. Photos and videos showed them madly in love and happy, you know, kissing, hugging, smiling. Everything was wonderful. Or was it? Because on August 12th, 
Gabby and Brian were pulled over in Moab, Utah, right near Arches National Park, due to a report of a domestic problem between the couple. Body cam footage showed the cops talking to both of them. Brian told an officer that issues between the two had been building over the last few days due to being together and in a confined space, the van, for so long. Meanwhile, everything on social media? Ugh, it couldn't be better. August 23rd or 24th, Gabby last makes voice contact with her parents. Her parents later reported. Her last Instagram post is August 25th as they were heading to Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. August 30th, Gabby's mom gets a text from her daughter's phone that says no service in Yosemite, or as Trump calls it, yo Semite. I'm still not over that. (laughs) (laughs) September 1st, Brian returns to Florida with the van they were traveling and sleeping in, but without Gabby. He drove across the country, gets home. Hey, mom and dad. Hey, Brian. Uh, Where's Gabby? You got the van. Where's Gabby? That's when things got worrying. September 11th. Gabby's family reports Gabby missing to the police, so that was 10 days after Brian got back. September 15th, Brian was described as a person of interest in the case, but he refuses to speak to police. His lawyer told him not to. September 17th, Brian's parents tell the police they have not seen Brian since September 14th, so he disappeared from the family at that point. September 18th, police begin searching for Brian in Florida. They can't find him. The next day, September 19th, this past Sunday, Gabby's body was believed to have been found in a forest in Wyoming. Laura, Micah, have you two been following this case? Yep, indeed. It's been real interesting because they had a pretty big presence. I mean, their YouTube channel really blew up. I think they had something like 20,000 subscribers on there. I know I had seen some of their stuff on TikTok in passing. Like, I was aware of them vaguely, Just because I, you know, as part of my doom scrolling on the internet, things like this just crop up in my feed sometimes. Um, So it was really odd to see something that I was like tangentially aware of crop up as like this true crime whodunit case. Yeah. And true crime TikTok has apparently been all over this. And if you look in her and his social media posts, there's people in their comments speculating about what went on. <laughs> and then if you look at her posts, you see a lot of people being like, oh, Brian wrote this. There's no way Gabby would have written this. It's like, okay, people. But Micah, you said you were following it too? Honestly, I only heard the news yesterday. Like I had heard about the story, but I watched the press conference yesterday evening, uh, which which broke it down. Prior to, I was watching CNN and it broke it down pretty similarly to the way you laid it out with the timeline. I actually think today too, they were searching his parents' home Mm -hmm. um, just in case he happened to be there, which I highly doubt that to be the case. This, To me, this is just a really tragic, sad story. Mm -hmm. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about what you see on social media is not what's really happening in somebody's life and I'll always remember there was somebody that I used to work with in social media that made that exact point, that basically social media is what you want the world to see. And it's sort of the, in many ways, the fake version of your life. And I'm sure we're going to have different feelings about kind of what you were just talking about in terms of like how this is all being portrayed in the media, how it's being portrayed on social media. And that's not to take away because they did say that a lot of those people on 
TikTok and other platforms were instrumental in helping them find her. Oh, I hadn't seen that yet. But one reason this case has been making national headlines is because, you know, this is a hot young girl in great relationship, apparently, who was documenting the trip on social media suddenly goes missing. It's kind of frustrating that a story that a, a missing person's case like this gets so much attention. And it's only because they were posting on social media and only because she was attractive. That That's really what it and comes down white and blonde. That's a big part right. of it, too. Yes. I mean, right. it doesn't it does not minimize the tragedy here. And it doesn't mean that it shouldn't be reported on. But you do raise a good point about the kinds of stories that do get coverage and the kinds of stories that don't. Yeah. White is a big one. But so, Laura, when I was planning this segment, this was before Gabby's body was evidently found. I wanted to basically just ask you, did he do it? I definitely I appreciate your level of trust that you place in my opinion here. I do. Um, Definitely doesn't look good, right? I mean, we're not um, going to say, you know, unequivocally one way or the other because we don't have all the facts at this point. But... A young couple goes on cross-country road trip together. They're gone for months. There's a previous altercation that occurred. Um, You can actually see the um, chest cam footage from that interaction where the police officer separates her and Brian for the evening and declines to, you know, press any charges against them. So we know that happened. Um, We also know that... The, you know, most likely offender of any kind of domestic uh, incident against a female partner would be her male partner. And given the fact that she was isolated with him for multiple months and that he returned without her not having ever uh, notified anyone of her being missing or anything like that seems pretty likely that he is the culprit here. We don't know the circumstances that might have been at play. Um, There's a lot of ways this obviously could have gone down. Something that I thought was really interesting was um, that uh, no service in Yosemite text that she sent to her mom on August 30th. Her mom doesn't think that was her. Right. Yeah. He took. So even her family going back a couple weeks think that, she might have already been at the very least indisposed and incapable yeah. of answering messages. So her family certainly has suspicions. Assuming he purposely killed her. One question I keep coming back to is why was the answer in this case and in so many other cases, murder instead of breakup, right? What gets so bad? We all go through tough times in relationships and we're like oh i want to you know maybe maybe i should end this relationship but i'm not once have i ever thought let me murder pat or one of my exes i just have a hard time putting myself in the head of somebody in especially in a situation like this where you're out on a cross-country road trip having I'm sure they were having a good time during a lot of this, especially early on. And somehow it gets to murder. Whoo. That is a big leap to take. Yeah, I never understand that. And I've and not related to this case. And I feel like I wouldn't I wouldn't want to joke about it related to this case because it's obviously still fresh. Like it's to Micah's point, a horrific tragedy that this occurred. Um, But 
I, as you said, Andrew, <laughs> I'm really into true crime stuff. So Mark and I watch a lot of true crime stuff together. We listen to a lot of true crime podcasts together. And I'll frequently joke with him and be like, hey, if you get sick of me, like, just just tell me you're done. Don't kill me. Okay. Like, I would really appreciate that. Right. And he and he's like, okay, all right. Noted. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's it's really I don't understand the mentality that allows someone to go from I'm unhappy in this relationship to, well, I guess the next step is murder. <laughs> um, is it anger management? Yeah. This guy might just have had anger management problems. I know we're doing a lot of speculating, but that's what everybody else is doing. So it's OK. Yeah, that's true. The only other thing I can I can think here that might have been a factor and I don't want this to be construed as any kind of ageism, because it's certainly not how I intend it. Um, but they, they're they both really, really young, right? And undertaking this pretty big uh, task of cohabitating in a van for multiple months. And I have to imagine that that created some circumstances that might have been outside of what they were comfortable navigating. And for some people, the age of maturity that you would need to have reached in order to be able to uh, successfully navigate that uh, without uh, losing your damn mind, they might not have reached that yet. Or rather, Brian might not have reached that yet. But I don't really know. I mean, that's just one of the things that jumps out at me about it is thinking, geez, they were really young to be, you know, engaged and doing this big multi-month van life adventure. I don't know that I would have wanted to do that with a significant other at that age. Or maybe I thought I, I maybe at the time I would have thought right. I could handle it. But I could see how if you're not uh, in the right headspace, how something like that can go bad. Yeah. Well, it's just like how the pandemic has shown, has really tested relationships. Suddenly, you're spending a lot more time in many situations with your significant other. You have nowhere to go. You're stuck in the house. A lot of relationships fell apart during the pandemic. And it's because suddenly people were being forced to spend more time with each other than they were accustomed to. I am definitely somebody who needs space. I absolutely need to set some boundaries or I do start getting frustrated in the situation. I I like being left alone sometimes. And this is what's happened here. Like you were saying, Laura, they were spending a lot of time together in a close space in the small van and they couldn't take it. They said as much in the body cam footage. They had just had it. Yeah. And of course, that's never an excuse. Um, And we're actually seeing some chatter in the discord about how apparently Uh, People who knew them in their personal lives have come forward to say things about his character, such as him being controlling and narcissistic and manipulative. Um, So obviously, all of those factors would have an, you know, an impact on the outcome here, right? And it's, again, it's all speculation until we have the facts. Um, So while I really admire the justice for Gabby movements that are happening on social media. I just always think it's really important for people, you know, you can speculate, you can have theories. um, But just remember that these are 
you know, real people's lives. This was a real person. Um, and it's a tragedy. And we can't really be running around like doxing members of Brian's family, for example, <laughs> right now, because we we just don't know all the facts. And um, I'll be really anxious to hear what the outcome of this is. I wish that I had a more salacious take here for you, Andrew. Um, <laughs> you know, you don't need it, though, because yeah. when, when you're talking about speculation, one of the things that really just turns me off as it relates to news coverage is when they start bringing in all the different experts on the situation as if nobody is an expert in that particular situation aside from those individuals who are out there doing the investigative mm -hmm. work. So it's just a, a bunch of people sitting around blowing hot air. And what really honestly bothered me yesterday was when I was watching CNN's coverage, they continuously looped the videos of them together. Now, if you're essentially going as far as making him a person of interest, don't you think there's something wrong with showing video of the two of them together over and over and over right. and or even just showing video of her like she had just more or less been presumed dead right and that's what the fbi said and yet they continuously on loop show her over it's to shock the viewers because it makes the of viewers course. think how could this have happened look how happy they are in these videos and photos it's just to me that's disgusting yeah, yeah. It reminds me of so many other high profile cases like um, a lot of the coverage around this has kind of reminded me of the coverage around the Casey Anthony trial, for example, um, and just how dirty a lot of that felt. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. yeah well, to your you. point, these are real people. They don't seem like it because we're watching them on a television or we're watching it unfold on social media. But at the end of the day, that's somebody's daughter. Yeah. yeah. Well, in a way, I mean, you know, media conditions us to kind of not take it as seriously as we do, because how many crime shows are on television? And that's all for entertainment, video games, lots of crime as well. It's like we all just kind of get used to seeing crime. And then we lose sight of the fact that Gabby was a real human who was now murdered for probably zero reason whatsoever and actually you know media might be to blame here because it's like again jumping from no i'm not gonna break up with her i'm gonna kill her how does one come to think that that's a solution to any situation and this goes for all kinds of cases maybe he used to watch a lot of freaking shows or movies where people are getting murdered i don't know but again, it just it pre media presents murder as a feasible option to, be, to people going through a hard time. Yeah. And I think, too, media loves to and certain politicians as well love to harp on that particular point when they're trying to cast about and find who do we blame for this kind of violence. Oh, I know. I sound like Fox News right now. <laughs> no, I mean, I understand where you're coming from, though, because there is a degree to which, you know, looping that kind of footage over and over can come across as glorifying mm -hmm. somebody who did something horrible, right? Or at the very least, you know, 
empathizing with them. See, look how nice he is. Look how much he loves her in this video. You know, there has to be something more going on here. It has to have just been a tragic accident. And he loved her so much, he didn't know how to deal with it. So he just left, you know, that is one take that somebody who maybe doesn't take the time to really think critically about this could uh, take away from watching all of this news coverage. And then the other takeaway somebody could have is like, oh, damn video games, damn violent movies. Look at what they made this pure, innocent person do. And I think it's just a lot more complicated. The human psyche is a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. And just to clarify, I'm trying to because I I do know that this is a popular talking point on the right, but I'm just trying to understand how you get to murder as a option. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. And I think that if we knew the answer to that question, we would, I don't know, maybe potentially prevent more of these events from happening in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what's scary about it is that nobody on this panel has the answer to that question. Nobody can really articulate how does one get from, you know, step one in this equation all the way to step Z, which is murder when there's like, you know, 25 other options in between those two things. What if you fly home, go into couples counseling? Yeah, like there were a lot of other answers. Just break up. Just break up. Like, let her take the van. You get your ass to you an airport. Home. Yeah, <laughs> fly exactly. Home or I, vice versa. The cops put him in the hotel room one night. That night that they got pulled over. Yeah. That same night, and this transitions. We don't have to spend more time on this because I know it's depressing. But just touching again on what Micah said about how things on social media are so fake. On an Instagram post uploaded on the day of the police encounter, Gabby writes that she and Brian were camping under an open tent watching the stars that night what actually happened brian was staying in a hotel arranged by police because that was the day that they got pulled over everything on social media is fake i'll add to micah's point earlier social media is a highlight reel i think i heard that from emerson i really like that that's the one good thing i ever heard from emerson (laughs) the founder (laughs) of MuggleNet. it really is though if you think about it when do you ever see somebody that you know, I'm not talking about brands or news outlets or anything like that, but when do you ever see somebody that you know really truly post about something that isn't, look at me? Oh yeah, it's all about, you know, it feels good getting the likes and stuff. The only time I can think of when you post bad news, but you do it because it actually is helpful in times like these is when you're like seriously ill like, you know, hey, I have cancer. I'm about to go through chemo. Then you get a lot of support from people. And that's that's great that you get support from people. But that's like the one scenario where I think it's normalized to post some bad news. Yeah, I'm just looking at my Instagram feed and I have really gotten to the point where I don't update my social with personal things that much anymore. Um, my last two posts. You save it for the show. Yeah, I maybe that's part of it. Um, but also it just it's starting to feel really fake to me to this point. I have become less interested over time in sharing these life moments on social because I'm like, the people that really matter that I want to share this with 
I'm either going to talk about it on the show or they're people that I have close personal relationships with that I'm going to talk about it to anyway. And the rest of it is just personal catharsis, I think. Like, I'm looking at my Instagram, my last two posts, uh, the uh, one a couple months ago was about our family dog. We had to put him down and I made like a very heartfelt post about him um, talking about how much he meant to me and sharing a bunch of pictures that I loved of him. And then the most recent post is of Canella because it was her ninth birthday the other day. And so I wanted to share a bunch of pictures of her. But that's pretty much what I post. Or like if I dye my hair a cool color, <laughs> I do that. Highlight reel. But I, yeah, but I, but it's like, those are actual real things. It's not like I'm lying about something I did. And you post when the hair color comes out in a way you're happy with. If it came out really badly, I bet you wouldn't <laughs> post it. Pro- probably not. But that's also because I'm friends with um, my stylist and I have respect for her. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Laura, why didn't you post a photo of my latest dye job? Didn't you like it? No. Well, also because she's an artist and she never messes up. So <laughs> I'm very lucky. <laughs> I post like big personal news sometimes like I posted on my birthday kind of celebrating the past year actually I'll be making a major post in the in the next couple weeks and this isn't a joke I have some uh, a big life change coming up in the next couple of weeks Laura knows are you moving again? Micah doesn't no I'm not <laughs> moving again and Micah <laughs> don't text me after the show I'm not going to tell you you just have to follow me on Instagram to find out what it is oh st- Tell me after the show. But I will. No, I'm not telling you after the show unless you pay me. Um, but it will be. I don't know why you would pay. <laughs> Mike is sitting here giving his time to us for free. Um, no, but I'm going to make an honest, thoughtful post about an upcoming about an event in my life. It's nothing like health wise or like bad like that. So I like posting big news on on social media i'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it i'm just saying that if you look at the larger picture in terms of what generally people post and i'm i know you have all talked about this on the show before just in terms of the impact psychologically that social media tends to have particularly not just on our generation but on the generations that follow us yep it they're consumed by it and yeah. they feel like it it almost it, it's like it gives them some sort of life force to be able to engage with this stuff on a daily basis and I, i'll be honest like there are periods of time where i would post something i'd be like oh why don't people like my posts like what the hell <laughs> i like, know it sucks when you don't get <laughs> or why likes. doesn't this person like this post right like yeah. you're you're always watching about who's liking your posts and yeah, yeah so, you're I mean, looking for that dopamine hit. I've totally been yeah. there. Like if I posted something like a really cute selfie, like if I updated my profile picture and, you know, it was one of those like felt cute, might delete later moments. I never actually said that. But, <laughs> um, or, or like if I had um, big news that I wanted to share about like moving somewhere or starting a new job. And it really mattered to me to get engagement from my social network based off of that. I just feel that far less now. I really stopped caring. I think in part because I actively know some people who are real into the highlight reel. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. 
we're talking daily type stuff, posting about, oh, how great everything is, da, da, da. And I know just from personal experience that that is a lie. Right. (laughs) And that and that they are making it out to be something that it's not because I've had one on one experiences with people. I've heard stories about people. And I'm like, you're just trying to make other people think that you're happy because you're not happy. And you think that, well, if at least other people think I'm happy, that's better than nothing. And really, the answer is just go to therapy. y'all. like, yeah. Quick story related to that about how everything's fake. I follow on Instagram a friend of a friend. I see all the posts. Everything looks great in this person's relationship. Life is good. You know, everything's 100. And then I got lunch last year with my friend. And I find out the truth about the friend of the friend. Nothing is as it seems. The relationship's a mess. Life is a mess. I I sat back and I was like, wow, everything on social media is so fake. And here's another example. And he was like, yep, that relationship you see on Facebook, that person, their life, not how it actually is. I was shook because, you know, after years of seeing everything look apparently so good, that wasn't the case at all. So we should probably move on. If there's an update in this Gabby case, we'll probably share it in the next couple weeks. But the second half of today's show is going to focus on going back to work and quitting or not quitting. We actually, by the way, don't have any advertisers this week. So we wanted to take a moment here to say thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. We deeply appreciate your support. Thank you so much. And it helps keep us afloat. Thank you, Micah. Because ads cannot be dependable sources of income. And if you aren't pledged, now's a good time to do so. We've been recording lots of gossip-heavy bonus episodes over on our Patreon. We call them After Dark. And what are we doing this week, Laura? Um, So I have an update on some of my contractor drama. Um, I actually have emails that I'm going to read. <laughs> that have gone back and forth. And then because we've been sharing a lot of our own personal tea lately, we asked our patrons to share some of their tea. And they delivered. They spilled some hot goss from their personal lives. So we're going to share some of those and react to them in this week's After Dark. Very excited. It's amazing what people share when it's behind a paywall. (laughs) Yep, exactly. What secrets can we protect for you behind our paywall, dear (laughs) listeners? After Dark joins other benefits, including the ability to listen to us record live each week and hang out in the Millennial Discord. Uh, That's actually one of my favorite benefits on our Patreon because it's so great seeing people respond in real time. For example, I was just talking about I have a big announcement coming up and people were speculating what that announcement is in the Discord. And by the way, one more thing. We are putting the final touches on this year's physical gift for Bay-level patrons. And hopefully we can announce it in in the next month or so. We're just waiting for a sample to come in and then we'll then we'll announce it. So again, patreon.com slash millennial. Thanks, everybody who supports us. You're welcome. Thank you, Micah, in particular. Micah's our number one patron. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we got a really good confessional about uh, workplace courtesy, in particular, the courtesy of, of quitting, or at least quitting with notice. And I thought we could have a conversation about the current landscape of work based off of this. But first... Let's hear what our confessee had to say. They wrote, I have what I feel like is becoming a more and more unpopular opinion. 
if you cannot give at least two weeks notice before leaving your position for non-emergency reasons, you are a horrible person and are completely unprofessional. I'm seeing it being almost glamorized to just walk out on a job that's not meeting your standards. I get it. There are some working conditions that are horrible, and you need to walk away from them for your own mental health. But when you leave your job high and dry without giving any notice, you're not just screwing your horrible boss. You're screwing all of your coworkers, clients, etc. that you're leaving. I work as a supervisor at an agency that works with kids with autism. I oversee therapists who work one-on-one with these kids. We are having therapists come in and resign suddenly with one day notice more and more frequently, and it's actually causing so much turmoil that I'm stressed beyond belief. When a therapist leaves unexpectedly, the child has to go multiple weeks without necessary therapy services. Finding a better job that pays better or focusing on school are valid reasons to leave with notice, but to just abandon your commitments like this is totally unprofessional and unethical when you are working in this setting. Yeah, that's awful. Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that happening. I've I've heard of this happening as well. Not necessarily because of you know what's been going on with the job market and the pandemic i've heard about it happening for a while but it does seem like it's been happening more frequently yeah and we've we've got a little bit of data on that that we can dig into in a few moments here um but obviously this confessional is a pretty unique circumstance right um and i can understand why if you're working in a therapeutic setting having people leave suddenly is not um the most optimal outcome, especially for the patients. But I thought that we could turn this conversation inwards and first ask ourselves, have any of us ever walked out on a job ever? I have. I uh, When I first moved to California in 2008, I got a job at the Apple store and I very quickly didn't like it. I honestly cannot remember why I didn't have the patience to stick with it. I was doing MuggleNet at the time, so I cut. You know, I had other income coming in, but I ghosted them, and I know that's wrong. And in hindsight, I regret handling it that way, especially because I can't remember why I couldn't have just stuck it out. But I left very quickly, and I didn't give them any notice, and I made up excuses. I straight up lied about why I left. Yeah, I've never walked out on a job, but I've been on the other end of that where I've gotten let go. So I think having that perspective would probably change my approach to just walking out on a company. Part of what was raised by that person is is really important because obviously you need to look out for yourself first and foremost, but the impact that you have is felt by many people. And in this case, it's a service industry that she's talking about. So it's not just the coworkers that are impacted, it's the patients that are impacted too. And I feel like that's tough. Like, and, and everybody's situation is different and there's always extenuating circumstances. But I think two weeks is actually not a lot of time in the grand scheme, but what you can do to set coworkers and others up for success. It's not it, it's not even about making yourself look good. It's about doing what's right. That being said, if you have a situation where 
it's just not working out. I, I can understand people making the decision to just pull the plug. Yeah. I think it also depends on what your local laws are. I mean, like, you know, I live in Georgia, which is a right to work state, uh, which basically means that any employer can fire you for any reason or no reason at any time. So I know anytime this has come up as a topic of conversation amongst me and my friends, there's always that debate about, you know, well, what is professional for you as the employee to do versus what's what would be professional for the employer to do? And understanding that legally, our employers have the right to dismiss us at any point uh, for any reason or no reason, and they don't have to disclose anything either. So I can understand, and I, that's why I kind of find myself in the middle on this particular debate. I think there are some cases where you absolutely should endeavor to give that two weeks if you can, but I understand there may be circumstances where you don't have that option, and I think it's maybe a little more complicated uh, depending on the industry too. Like I can see um, why being a therapist, it would be pretty stressful on the clients, but also on the other therapists working there. I know when I was teaching, um, this was like my first big professional flame out. I hated the school that I was teaching at. And I uh, shit talked them on like um, a forum <laughs> where there were like other people working at other schools. It was basically like if you want to teach ESL abroad, like here's where you can go to compare notes with other teachers. And I was shit talking this school. And uh, I very stupidly confided in a, a peer of mine who I trusted and who I thought wasn't a snitch, but it turned out she was a total fucking snitch. Uh, I confided in her that I had written this post, right? And then she ran and told our director that I had done that. Um, so he pulled me into his office and basically like gave me the opportunity to like explain myself. And in that moment, I just knew it's not going to be a healthy place for me to work anymore. So I just quit on the spot. But I agreed to finish out the last couple weeks of the semester because I didn't want to leave my students in a lurch, yeah. you know. Yeah. But what if my boss had been like, fuck you, we don't want you here. I, I would have just had to be like, OK. Like you said, Laura, it's really going to depend on the job. And I see people bringing that up in the discord as well. But I do have to agree that there are certain jobs where it's not going to be cool to do this, like the situation that the yeah. confessional writer wrote in. I've I've heard about this happening a lot in the hospitality industry. Some people, whether it's housekeeping, front desk, just don't show up for work and they decide to leave with no notice. And then other employees have to pick up the slack. Now, I guess businesses need to take this into consideration when managing the the team and and booking schedules just in case this type of thing comes up so nobody's left high and dry. I guess you always have to plan for the opportunity, especially these days, for the possibility, especially these days, that somebody is going to leave without a moment's notice. So, 
yeah, I think, you know, if it's retail yeah. like Apple or as Katie said in the Discord, Barnes and Noble, okay, they can probably easily replace you if you're just working the register or, you know, helping people with questions at, at a desk. But if it's an important job, like right. something in the medical field, no, it's not okay. Yeah, I, I would agree too with your point about some of the things that are coming up in the the Discord. I saw Sean say that I don't think you can make a blanket statement on something mm-hmm. like yeah. this. And and I would totally echo that. I would also be interested just to learn more about this particular situation and and whether or not it it seems like it did occur, you know, in the height of the pandemic, because the reality is it's almost like the advantage has shifted to the employee in a lot of ways because I feel like a lot of people have reevaluated their lives Mm -hmm. and looked at what they were doing or maybe weren't doing throughout these last 18 months. And if they didn't like what they were doing, they're making changes. And that doesn't mean the way that this particular person went about it was the right way, but I just think you're seeing a shift. Yeah. And actually jumping ahead a little bit, and then we can come back to a couple of these conversational questions. We know that 4 million people in the U.S. quit their jobs this April alone. That's pretty substantial. Um, And for the most part, these are people who thought that they had better labor prospects elsewhere, um, according to the Department of Labor. But I'm wondering if y'all can guess the top three industries people quit in April of this year here in the US. Retail, food, I don't know, fast food, is that too specific instead of food? I feel like that would fall under food, food. service. Food service, yeah, in yeah. In general. People who are in those jobs, though, may need them, meaning like they don't have necessarily the flexibility to be able to just quit and be done with it. Well, I'm thinking from a socioeconomic they did status. quit because they were collecting unemployment, maybe. So they were like, why do I need to work this right now? I get paid so little. I would say teachers are probably up there, too. So the answers are retail trade. Um, so that can encompass, obviously, retail. But you can think about other service industry-oriented jobs um, that would fall under that umbrella. Professional and business services, which hmm. captures definitely teachers, um, People in the tech sector, for example, and then transportation. Okay. So yeah. those were the big three for April. Um, and I'm going to be really curious to see the data about, you know, sort of like the summer months because, you know, people have continued uh, renouncing their jobs during this time as well to move on to uh, what they hope are greener pastures. But as we're thinking about, you know, work in this, Still, I I won't call it a post-COVID world because we're like still in COVID world. Um, What are our deal breakers at this point? Like, what are the things in light of our current situation being in a global pandemic that would make us walk away from a job right now? Well, definitely unsafe working conditions. Like if you told me you have to come back into the office and masks aren't required, Obviously, I would still wear one, but if other people weren't going to be wearing a mask, I'd be like, well, I'm out. Sorry. Yeah, I have to be honest here. You know, I've been remote since March of last year. And originally, I wasn't sure how I felt about remote, but I actually really like it. 
And I have no intentions of going back into an office on a regular basis. So I think if I were faced with the prospect of doing that, I would have to, um, you know, I wouldn't quit on the spot, but I would really have to evaluate whether I wanted to make that concession because I know the answer to that is no, but I would just have to weigh the pros and cons of walking away from that position. What does a regular basis mean for you? Weekly. So like once a week, going in more than once a week? I don't even want to go in that much. Really? Um, if Yeah. If my employer was like, you can come in once a month, I would be okay with that. Or like, you can come in sporadically. Like there's not a set like weekly cadence that you have to come in. I could make that work, but I'm not interested in being in an office multiple times a week. No. Well, speaking of that, Micah, you recently returned to the office and you have to go in a couple times a week, right? Yeah. So I've been back in the office as of last week and we're in three days a week, which I think is pretty standard for most companies that have returned to a in-office setting. I think generally speaking, it's it's fine. The reason why I say that, obviously the first day back is like the first day going back to school or <laughs> you know, one of those reunions where you haven't seen people in a long time and it's great to be able to see people face to face, you know, you can hug them, you can dap them up, whatever your preferred method is and whatever they're comfortable with too. Because you also have to remember some people are not generally comfortable with that kind of interaction, right? given everything that's going on, right? We're still, as you all said, in, in the midst of a pandemic, but, um, you know, masks are required. You have to wear a mask. Um, everybody in the office is vaccinated. Um, but I would say what gives me the most concern is the things that my work isn't able to control, right? So they're able to control the office environment. And I feel safe when I'm there. Everybody's masked. Everybody's vaccinated. We're all doing the right thing. The issue is commuting, the issue is being on a train, a subway, a bus, walking down the street where you have no insight into the status of any of these people. Now, I will say that generally speaking, with my commute on the train and on the subway, everybody's masked up. Like occasionally you see somebody not wearing a mask, but everybody is usually wearing a mask. So, I think over time, you'll start to get more comfortable with taking that type of transportation. And even on the street, like you walk down the street in New York City, I would say more than 50% of the people have masks on. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like I was on the train this morning, the guy in front of me rode the train for about 40 minutes without wearing a mask. Now, everybody else in the car has a mask on. The conductor took his ticket twice, didn't say anything. <laughs> now, it is that's frustrating. The rule of the MTA that you must be wearing a mask when you're on. Otherwise, you can I think find. it's a federal law too. It might be yeah. now. So th those are the types of situations that really bother me. And the, the one other thing I will add is just, you know, I'm in a mask literally from eight o'clock in the morning until seven o'clock at night with very few breaks. Like maybe I can get outside and take a walk. You know, I obviously have to eat at some point, which I usually do at my desk. Um, but that's a lot, like yeah. that's a lot of mental strain, stress, anxiety. 
And then like, quite honestly, when you get home, you know, you start to say to yourself, okay, well, my nose is all kind of stuffed up. My throat is dry. Like all the things that you like have going on inside of your head, like, oh, could it be COVID? Like, honestly, like for the next couple of days, you're wondering, you're saying to yourself, oh, am I going to develop symptoms? And you're also wondering, well, wait, why did I go into the office? I could have done all that at home. Yeah. And not had to mask up for 10 to 12 hours. Right. And I will say like, and because I've said it to coworkers, like I am somebody who is generally more productive at home. Like, and maybe it's the nature of my job and what I do, but I'm able to just kind of focus. I don't have people like walking by or tapping me on the shoulder or saying hello or pulling into like in-person meetings. I can be effective and I can get my job done. Now that's not the case for everybody. And a lot of people agree with you though. And I think we've proven it, haven't we? Like for the most part, I mean, unless you're you're an essential worker, unless, you know, you're somebody whose job requires you to actually be in a physical office setting or whatever your workplace looks like, we've proven it. We can do right. it remotely. And in many cases, we've done it better. <laughs> so I think that companies are just going to have to adjust to that. And on a related note, Micah is here today because he wants to put some feelers out to the listeners. Is anybody hiring? Because Micah's looking for <laughs> no, a new no. job. One he can <laughs> do from home, of course. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Totally kidding. Well, I think I think it's an important point, that a distinction that you bring up, Micah, that you know there are a lot of jobs, a lot of professions, which you could not be done from home. Um, So those industries are going to have to find another way to adapt. But I think what's so frustrating to me about the industries that very easily can continue being remote is that you have a population of people that you could make sure are relatively low risk carriers and transmitters of COVID because they're going to be spending most of their time at home why not make sure that there's at least a segment of the population that isn't unnecessarily out and about in the world all the time? It just doesn't make sense to yeah, me. It, it's a really good point. And, and as I said, like when I go to work, I feel safe. But maybe that's even a level of ignorance on my part because that environment feels so familiar to me because I've been there for such a long period of time. Right. And there's just, I just, I don't like the fact that it's a situation where you're creating increased levels of stress and anxiety for really no real reason to your point, Laura, like the work can be done in a separate place and creating a low risk type of situation. Do you two, you two both say you can, you're very productive working from home and that's great, but do you guys slack off a little bit? I've always worked from home and after I left Apple, that is, (laughs) I slack off, right? We all hop on YouTube for a little bit, maybe when we could be doing something else. Yeah, but honestly, I don't think that that- People do that at work. Yeah. (laughs) And I also, I don't, I don't think that that takes up any more time than any of the other distractions of being in an office take up. I mean, when you're sitting at a desk, can't tell you how many times- People randomly walk by and stop to have like a five, 10 minute conversation with you. It's like, at least when you're at home, that's not happening. Right. And <laughs> or, now you're afraid to even talk to them in, yeah, on some yeah. level, like blowing you, COVID in each other's faces. 
Yeah. So look, this is all going to be an adjustment for everybody. And I wish I had better advice. Like again, this is only my second week going back. I'm interested to see like with the three days that I'm in this week, two of them are back to back and what that is going to feel like after having back to back days of being in an office for eight hours a day, let's just say, and being masked up for 10 of that or, you know, 10 in total or 12 in total. Right. And to kind of wrap this on a a point for everyone to ponder, whether you you share an opinion with the the confessional writer um, that people need to be more professional about giving that notice, whether you're an employer that isn't quite understanding some of the demands that um, the workforce has right now. There was a really great quote from an an NPR article about uh, what's being called the great resignation, which is this year's just sheer amount of millions of people quitting their jobs. And it says, in normal times, people quitting jobs in large numbers signals a healthy economy with plentiful with plentiful jobs. But these are not normal times. We have to remember that things are not normal right now. Something that makes me crazy that I'm seeing all over the internet is companies talking about we're bringing our employees back to work. What do you mean? They've been working the whole time. It's not like you sent them off to have a fucking vacation for 18 months. Don't call They've it a comeback. They've been working from home. Well, well you, you know, According to Andrew, we're just on YouTube the whole day. <laughs> Dude, do you know the things that you can see when walking around an office and open area <laughs> I know, I and people's don't. monitors? I, yeah. look, oh. I'm just asking questions as somebody who's always worked from home. No, I'm just curious. I, I will say this. like, I don't see a future where five days in the office is a reality anymore. Mm-hmm. Nope. I, I think some companies will look to push to eventually get to that. I just don't think that it's going to be sustainable because the reality is a lot of people, as we were talking about earlier, they've found a balance. They've found better uses of their time than sitting on a train for two hours a day, sitting on a subway for two hours a day, sitting on a bus, right? They've been able to be more creative. They've been able to work out. They've been able to take care of their kids. They've been able to do all sorts of things. So flexibility is going to be absolutely crucial moving forward for businesses. And some will sustain no matter what. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, they are who they are. But I think employees, like like what I said earlier, like advantage employees because that's why you're seeing this movement. They're not going to tolerate what they had been tolerated for so long of a period of time. It's over. Yeah. And companies are going to begin losing out on top talent because workers now as a force have enough power to say universally like, hey, I'm going to go work for this company that's going to let me do X, Y, and Z because they understand the kinds of, you know, you could even call it benefits that they need to put together to be attractive to potential employees. And if you're stuck in like a pre 2020 world, that's not going to be you. You're not going to be the employer that everybody's clamoring to work at. Yeah. And we should also just acknowledge the people who have been working 
out in the field, so to speak, over the course of the pandemic. We're all lucky that we have been able to work from home, but a lot of people, of course, haven't. So hopefully you aren't feeling too shut out from this conversation. Obviously, a lot of people are have, you know, they got into the workforce working in an office and suddenly they had this great opportunity to work from home and now people are being pushed back into it when they just aren't ready to. So it's an important conversation to have. I And I will say, as some, again, as somebody who's worked from home pretty much my entire life after I fled from Apple, I envy the face-to-face social interaction that you all have gotten in offices over the years. You, I'm sure you, you, you would say right now that you appreciate that stuff from time to time, but I don't think you guys really know how great that is until you don't have it for like 10, 15 years. I definitely have, I've brought this up before, I definitely have less friends because I don't have people I meet in the office who become friends like so many people do. And I know that's not always the case, but I have definitely been deprived of social interaction, so much of it over the past 10, 15 years. And when I started seeing people go back to the office a few months ago before Delta, I was a little jelly. I was like, damn, that's going to be nice to go into an office again. Of course, not everybody feels that way, but some people do. Some people like that face to face. The grass is always greener, right? Of course. Yep. Yep. To the question of what does this mean for people, you know, in industries where remote work isn't an option. I don't know the answer to that, but something is going to have to be (laughs) figured out. Like there's going to have to eventually be some kind of solution, whether it's if you're out and about interacting with people, it's just masks from here on out. I don't know if that's the right answer, but definitely needs to be said that people in those industries are not getting the spotlight a lot in these discussions. And I mean, I'm seeing it even here in our discord, people talking about where they work and how they've been working the entire pandemic, and Mm -hmm. they've never gotten a break from any of it. So they've had that like, um, all of that social interaction during a time when maybe they didn't want it, when maybe they could have been just as happy not to have it, but they had no choice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I hear y'all. I worked retail for ten years, and I cannot even begin to imagine having done that in the midst of a global pandemic. It sounds really fucking hard. As my recommendation for this week's show, and it's related to this conversation, I wanted to recommend an article from Vox. Uh, It's called How the COVID-19 Pandemic Cemented the Death of Jobs. It's uh, very insightful. So I'll link that in the show notes for anyone who's interested. Yeah. And actually, while you're on that topic, since we're talking about this, um, one of my recommendations are actually called ear savers. I'm not sure if you've heard of these, but if you have to be in um, a KN95 or a KN94 mask all day long while working, I'll hold up an example of one right here. You can see they have like three little nibs on the end. What happens is it goes behind your head and the mask hooks into it. And then depending on how big your head is or how tight you want the mask to be, it goes around your neck. So instead of going around your ears and destroying your ears all day long, it's much, much, much more comfortable. That kind of looked like a sex toy. It was pink. It had some like oh, little <laughs> bulbs on it. There you go. This better? 
Nope, still a sex toy. <laughs> All right, so let's move well, on. Well, you know, look, I'm just getting you prepared since you have that blanket and those spotlights behind you. <laughs> yeah, the lighting is looking not good now that the sun is setting. Um, so to lighten things up, I wanted to talk yeah, about please. these fall seltzers. I know we all need a drink right now. I, so we spoke about the seltzer craze a few months ago on the millennial variety show on our Patreon. And we reviewed a couple seltzers. Then in the past couple of weeks, I heard that Bud Light who got into the seltzer game earlier this year was going to release a fall flannel variety pack of hard seltzers. And I was just like, is this a joke? I thought this was something you would see on The Onion. Because hard seltzers, I believe, are synonymous with summer. They're a light, refreshing drink to have outside, by the pool, in the air conditioning. You know, it's just, it seems, it feels like a summer thing. It gives off summer vibes. And then they announce this fall flannel pack. And listen to these flavors. Pumpkin spice, of course. Maple pear. Apple crisp. And probably the worst one of all, toasted marshmallow, seltzer. Ew. I bought a variety pack. I found it at the store. Should I try all four? I'm not going to drink try all em. four. Just try try them. Try all four? Try them. All try right. Em. I'm going to step away because they're chilling in the fridge right now. You two, Laura, why don't you explain the seltzer that you have and your attempt yeah, at getting the fall so, flannel one? Right. So what happened with me was I tried to find the fall flannel uh, mix pack, but we couldn't find any stores in Georgia that had them yet. So I don't know if it's just because in Georgia they were like, it's still summer, it's not fall yet. Um, so what I was able to find though were the uh, Bud Light summer seltzers, they're the iced tea seltzers. And I thought that it would be an interesting comparison because I'm drinking a summer seltzer. Um, which feels a lot more natural to this panel. And Andrew is going to drink the fall seltzers and give us his review. But the one that I have is the uh, tangerine iced tea seltzer. Not a big Bud Light fan, so I'm not expecting very much here. Um, it smells good, though. I mean, it, it smells like tangerine. I think I should try the worst one first, toasted marshmallow. This just it does sounds not... horrible. I <laughs> love it. Watch. While Andrew's drinking these, I'm going to sip on this tangerine Oh, Jesus tea. Christ. It smells awful. Oh. Oh, my God. I seriously, that is so disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> that is so bad. Oh, my God. So, wait. Can you give us a flavor profile? Can you describe it? Poop. Poop. No, Poop. I think I can taste marshmallow. I can taste marshmallow. But you don't want marshmallow in a cold drink. All right. I also have to be honest. I just don't like Bud. I think I just don't like the flavor of their beer. And even <laughs> with this, I get that base level flavor and aftertaste that I get from regular Bud Light. Mm-hmm. And this just feels like they somehow found a way to take the piss water that they call beer and make it even more watery and like inject. Uh, like some tangerine flavoring. Like they sat a tangerine next to the can for like a day and that's their it's flavor ready. contribution. <laughs> I'm not impressed by And this is a summer seltzer and I'm not impressed by it. Yeah. All right. Here's apple crisp. I feel like apple hard You're seltzer like might be all right. One. I can tell. A little too sweet. A little too cherry. It tastes cherry to me. 
Okay. I didn't like that one either. This is going really bad. Can I return an open box of hard <laughs> no. seltzer? Especially during a pandemic now. <laughs> Storm in there. This whole variety pack sucks. Give me right. Brook- Brooklyn will have some. No, oh, I would never do that to my dog. He deserves the best, not the worst. All right. Um, pumpkin spice. I'm so disgusted by all and of these. See- I have to be honest with you, that was the one. When I heard they were making a pumpkin spice seltzer, I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. We've taken it too far. Pumpkin bread, pumpkin cookies, pumpkin coffee. I'm down with all of it. Like baked goods, great candles, awesome. Beer, even like a a pumpkin lager. Okay, fine. But a seltzer, no. It was (laughs) inevitable. bridge too far. It was inevitable. I won't allow it. it. I mean, you go into Trader Joe's right now, everything is pumpkin. Pumpkin dog treats, pumpkin face cream, pumpkin. Dog treats, really? Tortilla I treats. Try yeah, those. seriously. <laughs> All right, final one. Um, this is the pear one. I seriously am stunned by how bad these are. <laughs> like, the, I was expecting something summery in here, at least. Like, some, like the lime or the grapefruit. All of them are so bad. So bad. I guess I'll water yeah. my plants with these after. I don't know because I'm not finishing them. I don't want to waste it. See if Pat wants them. He's not here right now. Sh- oh, oh, that's Brooklyn. right. I think what's shocking to me about these is like when I think about what I want to drink in the fall and the winter, I want something heavier. Like And warm. I want, yeah, I want like a dark beer, right? Yeah, like a stout. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how much you like pumpkin though i know we're trying to you know not overdo the whole pumpkin thing but i love pumpkin personally couple of beers from uh southern tier brewing company which i've had which are really good the first is a warlock imperial stout and they do put a little bit of pumpkin into it and it's a seasonal beer about 8.6 percent per bottle so you know you're gonna be having a good time and then also they make one called Pumpkin, which is just an imperial pumpkin ale, which they claim like has like pumpkin pie in the, in a glass. Like, I don't know about that, but it's good. It's also around 9%. So yeah. if you're looking for some pumpkin beer, I highly recommend those two. I've had Pumpkin before. It is really, really good. Also, it's not a pumpkin flavor, but there is a brewery here called Pontoon that I really like. And they make a stout that's called gingerbread murder scene. And it's a stout that, you know, they say it's made with gingerbread. So it's got like that uh, gingery flavor about it. It's really, really good. So there are so many opportunities to make good substantive fall and winter drinks and they've chosen seltzers because seltzers are in right now, I guess. But like... I'll be shocked if this comes back next year because people are going to try this this year and never want to touch it again. Somebody wanted me to rank these. I'll say worse, this toasted marshmallow, then followed by the pear. I was expecting better of pear. And then pumpkin spice, and then I guess the apple crisp one. So that's my ranking. But I do not recommend buying this at all. That was truly... I I never want to drink hard seltzer again after experiencing (laughs) this for it. It was just that bad. And now I have like... A whole variety pack. I think Pat's going to hate them too. So, and honestly, these iced tea summer seltzers are not 
really anything to write home about. I know we're technically past summer at this point, but the only thing I could see myself using these for is using them as mixers. Like if I wanted to use them as a base and something else. Yeah. Yeah. They're trying to make iced tea seltzers happen, them and some others. And personally, it's not for me, but I'm not an iced tea guy either. So we've got to get you into stouts, Andrew. I don't like heavy beers. I know you two do, but uh, like a Guinness or anything like that. Ugh, no, thank you. What do I do over the winter? Guinness is pretty light. I like (laughs) (laughs) to me. That's really heavy. Like, ugh. you might like these because they taste heavy to me. It's a smooth stout. Again, a Guinness. You know what I am? I'm a whiskey guy. That's what I drink over the winter oh, and red wine yeah. over the winter. I can agree with that. I've definitely developed more of a taste for whiskey over the last 18 months. Yeah. I will confess. <laughs> My recommendation is one of these I do not recommend this week. It is the Bud Light Fall Flannel Pack. I am so disgusted by this. I've never been more disappointed by anything in my life. I fear Christmas. I'm afraid they're going to put out a holiday one too. And of course, I'm going to try it. And I'm going to be as disappointed as I am right now. Do we want to predict what some of their Christmas flavors might be? (laughs) (laughs) Mistletoe. (laughs) Mistletoe. Oh, yeah. Definitely gingerbread, though, Laura, to your point. Oh, it's going to taste like this toasted marshmallow one. Eggnog. Either that or they'll do like a snickerdoodle. (sighs) Eggnog. Definitely. Eggnog. Oh, yeah, that's terrible. Uh, Santa's semen. They'll call it. <laughs> I was thinking Frosty's jizz. <laughs> wow, this turned fast. Rudolph's <laughs> Rudolph's red wine. Actually, what am I talking about? It took like an hour and 15 minutes to get here. <laughs> I know. It, it actually took a while. I think we were trying to be mature for you, Micah. <laughs> we were like, we want Micah to come back. Mm, oh, candy cane. It. You know, I might be down a for a one. candy cane seltzer, Sonia and uh, Amanda. Wow. Mariah said pine seltzer? cone. Like candy cane, like minty, light, refreshing. Yeah, but as a seltzer in the winter? Yeah. I don't know. I guess we'll I guess we'll see. So Elf. do not recommend. <laughs> one other uh, recommendation I was going to make is that a buddy of mine uh, started his own podcast. It's called Everyone's a Real Critic. And what they do is they break down the movies that have at least a 20% difference between the critic and the audience over on Rotten Tomatoes, and they figure out who's right. Um, so I thought I would give them a little That's bit a good idea. of pub. And um, they're on Twitter and they're on Instagram at E-A-R-C pod. And uh, they're up on Spotify now. They're still waiting for the iTunes approval to come through and uh, it's good. It's funny. Their first episode, Andrew, you'll love it. Laura, too, was actually on Twilight. <gasps> oh, okay. Oh, I love that. Yes. Th- that's a great idea for a podcast. These days, there's so many podcasts. You need an original idea or a good twist. They're doing a movie review podcast, but they're focusing on movies that have, you know, this chasm between critic reviews and fan reviews. Great idea. Make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcasting app so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, do leave us a review. You can also contact us by writing directly to millennialshow at gmail.com or by using the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. And finally, follow us on social media. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Micah, thanks for joining us today. It was great having you. 
Thanks for having me. We can find you every week on MuggleCast, the Harry Potter podcast. Harry Potter podcasting <laughs> since 2005. That's right. Choo-choo. That's how we, that's how we know <laughs> Micah, by the way. And I'm speaking directly to that guy who wrote in at the top of the show, Scott, who sounds like a new listener. Scott, we know him because we became friends through Harry Potter. Can you believe that? I know. <laughs> it explains so much about us, probably. <laughs> no, they just, you know, randomly found me on the street and they were like, do you want to do podcast? Dude, and we were like, dude, you're going into an office? What the heck? Screw that. Become a podcaster full time. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pam. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>